First Timothy chapter three. First Timothy three. Uh, we want to give a message today. If you've seen the screen ahead of time, it's qualifications and responsibilities of a pastor. We may not get to the responsibilities part. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure we won't get there. But I put it up there just in case. But I don't think we will. Um, so maybe two lessons here in regards to this this morning. Um, I don't think I've ever really dealt with this on a Sunday morning. I know I have on a Sunday evening before. Uh, it's really it's an important lesson, really, when, when you think about, as we'll focus in on the qualifications of a pastor this morning and why that's so important. Um, of course, this is kind of pointing a finger all, all at me this morning, you, you might think, and, and it should be. Uh, I, have a, I have a lot of responsibilities, no doubt, which we'll maybe get to you know, next week. But when we think about the qualifications of a pastor, when you read these in 1 Timothy 3, uh, 1 through 7, the word bishop is used, uh, not commonly used among Baptists, but uh, used in other denominations. Catholics use it um, basically to describe their officers and, and their hierarchies. But um, nevertheless, it is a scriptural term. It may have been misused in, in some uh, places. But uh, anyhow... Um, well, we refer to ourselves as, as pastors. Um, I did find something very fun this week, though. Um, there was a little game that some Amish kids were, were playing. I was over at, at, um, at Hannah's and Brad's house, and the neighbor Amish kids came over, and they're trying to get people to sign different things, like uh, different names. You can only sign for one thing, like if you're over 40 or if you have red hair. Had all the list if you killed a deer, if you... It just had, it had like, I don't know, probably 30 or 40 things, but there was one line that said, if you are a bishop, I'm like, I'm signing that. So I had, I had to sign that. So it was like a contest where they try to get run around and try to get people to sign on certain lines. So I'm sure they'll take that back to those in charge. Says, Who's the bishop named Jack Holbrook? But anyhow, I hope I didn't ruin the game for them like they lose by one point or something. Uh, but I just thought that was fun to sign that. So we don't use the word bishop, you know. Uh, we use pastor or, or elder, elder. Um, but anyhow, it, it is important that we understand the qualification. But when you look at the qualifications in, in 1 Timothy 3, most of the qualifications that are mentioned, they're all moral-based. They're just by all of them moral-based, except for a couple exceptions there. Now, there are other qualifications, I, I think, that, that we'll look at and that are found in his responsibilities that we'll look at hopefully next week. But it's important for us to take note of that. Uh, if a man is not where he needs to be at morally, he, he does not need to be standing up and teaching and preaching the Word of God. No matter how eloquent he is, no matter how well he might know Greek or Hebrew or, or, or other languages, if, if he is an immoral man, he has no business you know, being in the position of a pastor. It doesn't matter how long he's been in that position. It doesn't matter how well you may like his personality. It doesn't matter how well you might like his delivery. If he is not a moral man in accordance to the Word of God, he does not, should not uh, hold that position. Um, and so, yeah, I'll be a little bit hard on myself uh, in that regards, but no harder than, than what the Word of God should be or what the Word of God is. And neither should we be harder on him than what the Word of God is as well. In other words, don't have a separate set of standards for him that goes beyond the Scriptures. Uh, but let's read this in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1 through 7. It says, This is a faithful saying, If a man 
desires the position of a bishop. First of all, we're not going to elaborate on this, but he needs and must be a man, okay? Uh, the position of pastor or elder is only held by men. That's not, that is old-fashioned, but that's old-fashioned because the Word of God is old, and that's what it says. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be, must, must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation of the devil." Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Obviously, the devil's after that guy, right? That's always something to keep in mind as you pray for your pastor. Let's pray. Father, help us as we look at this this morning. I pray that it would uh, be a blessing, encouragement, Lord, to your church and, and to me as well, Lord, as I've had to uh, force myself to think more upon these things, and I'm thankful for that and the challenge and encouragement that it is to myself. And Father, I just pray that you would help us to have a good and healthy relationship here, Lord, in the church between uh, myself and the rest of the body of Christ here. Help me to be, Lord, the man of God that you would have me to be and what you've called me to be, uh, to set the, the right example, Lord, here before uh, your flock. And so help me and protect me from myself. And, Help me and protect me, Lord, from others or from Satan himself that would uh, love for me to fall. And so help me, Lord, never be lifted in, in pride or arrogance, but to walk humbly with you. Uh, for what a wonderful and high calling you have placed upon my life, one that I fear and one uh, that makes me wonder, Lord, why you would place me here. But Lord, I am thankful that you called me to this service. But help us to understand this relationship and and this position better, and Lord, that it may help our church to be stronger, and help us to see how that would strengthen us. In Jesus' name, and amen. Now, one of the reasons that the family unit is broke down is because there has been a losing of the sense of what the positions within the family unit are. In other words, men aren't being men, they're not being husbands, they're not fulfilling that role and women are being women and fulfilling their role that, that God has ordained and given them. And, and children now are the head of the house. And we've got everything messed up. And I think we can see that in our culture and society and say, boy, there are just so many problems in our world and our culture because, boy, the family unit has really been attacked and destroyed. Well, well likewise, I, I think that there, this same kind of thing can happen within the church whenever... The pastor doesn't understand his role and responsibilities and, and all of that. And that relationship is broken down between pastor and, and the rest of the church. Then I think that it weakens the church. And so it's important, I think, for me to understand you know, my responsibilities and, and all of that. And for you to understand yours as a church member as well. And so there needs to be a strengthening of that relationship. An understanding of, of those responsibilities here. Now... As we, as we said, not only we don't use the word uh, bishop to describe the position today for, for Baptists, but we use elder or pastor 
Um, basically describes the, the man or men, if there's a plurality of elders in the church, those in charge with the responsibility of, of the spiritual oversight of the flock of God. Now, never should, uh, I think, a pastor ever take upon himself the title of reverend. I, I hate that title. Uh, ever, ever, if you ever see my name in a paper and has reverend in front of it, no, I didn't ask for that, okay? I've had it happen to me several times. I don't call them up and blast them at the, the newspaper or whatever. Uh, but I, I don't like that title at all. And that's because the Word of God is clear. And, and Psalm 111 says, Holy and Reverend is His name. And so His, his name is, is Holy and Reverend, and mine is not. And so I, I don't like that title, Reverend. And any preachers listening to that, I, I encourage you to remove that from your title if you have it there. Um, but here's one thing for certain. Every pastor must receive a divine call from God to the ministry. In other words, it's not just something... Uh, that you choose or decide upon. As a matter of fact, most of the time, most men that go into the ministry are oftentimes encouraged to not consider the ministry. And so if you, if you can do it, Charles Spurgeon said it kind of like this, if you can do anything else, do it. If you can do anything else, do it. And um, why? Because it needs, to, it needs to be a calling. You need to know that what God has called you into this. I could not do what I'm doing at all if I was not 100% certain that God was in it. That's what God wanted for me because it scares me to death to stand here every week. It scares me to death to know that I will stand before God and give an account of all that I have taught in this place to you. I Believe me, I live in that reality every week. Every week that, that hits me, it seems as if. And, and so, uh, yes, it, it frightens me to think about that. But at the same time, when I would be frightened by that and say, Lord, I don't want to do that, I'm like, but Lord, I, I have to do that, and Lord, I want to do that. And so I have those struggles quite often, but I do understand the, the reality of that and how important this calling is. But it is a calling, for sure. Um, the call to ministry is not just a mere intellectual decision a man makes to further his career. Um, now, this is, this is why one of the reasons that the responsibility of the church is to determine whether or not a man who says he's called to pastor is truly qualified for the office. Uh, here, Paul is writing to young Timothy. He says, hey, Timothy, you need to check these guys out. If a man's going to be in that office uh, of, of pastor or elder, there are some qualifications, and he starts with the moral. And I think that's good. I mean, if a man does not meet the moral qualifications, forget all the rest. Like I said, it doesn't matter how eloquent he may be. It doesn't matter how smart he may be. Uh, if he does not meet the moral qualifications, then, then he is not able to stand or should not stand. It doesn't matter if he has a great communication skills or, or you look at him and say, man, he's just so gifted in how he talks to people. He's, a, he's an entertainer. When, it, when he talks, well, you can really listen to him. He's, he's easy to listen to. He's a great illustrator. And we can go on. And while all those things are... are admirable and should be pursued and, uh, in the ministry or, and are helpful in, in preaching and such, those things alone are nothing if the man does not walk with God and the man does not follow God in, in, his, uh, in his life and does not exemplify the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that There are those who would have those communication skills but lack the moral qualifications. And so it falls upon the church to make sure that he's qualified in respects to that. No matter how much you like me, no matter how much you love me, no matter how long I've been here, if I fall into immorality, 
and I refuse to step down, somebody needs to step up and say, Pastor, you, you can't do that anymore. Now, that's happened to some men, and some men have tried to force themselves to stay in the ministry even when they've been caught in sexual immorality, and the church has allowed them to stay. That should never happen. The church must hold to a scriptural teaching in regard to the pastor, and it starts with his moral qualifications. So let's focus on that for a moment. And I want you to think about this, though, the right way, because we're going to put a little bit of a twist to this this morning in regards to my qualifications as a pastor, because I don't want this to come across in a way that says the pastor, he, he's the one that, that must walk the high road and, and, and have, look at it from the, the standpoint of that's just for him. You know, he's got the high calling. We should expect that of the pastor. Listen, there are no moral expectations that you should have of me, men, that you should not have of yourself. So you can't look at it like that. So when you look at these moral qualifications, these I must be to be pastor. But these you should be because you're men of God. And so I want you to think about that, and so I want to make those applications as we work our way through some of these. But I think it's, it's wrong, I think it's hypocritical to hold me to a high, higher moral standard than what you should be. Listen, if it's wrong for me, I guarantee you it's wrong for you. If it's immorally wrong, in other words, there's not two sets of laws here of morality. A law of morality for the, the church members and, and, a law, and a law of morality for the pastor. Yes, there are qualifications for me to be in that position, but those issues of morality are the same for all of us. I think it's important for us to realize that. There have been many times where churches have held the pastor to a higher calling in the sense that he's the only one expected to live that way. If you think of something as morally wrong for me, but not morally wrong for you, you're wrong. <laughs> now let's talk about some of these qualifications and make some of those applications. Man, I am thirsty. Could somebody get me a drink of water? I'd really appreciate it. There's a reward waiting for somebody. It will never fade away as long as you don't brag about it. Now, let's talk about some of these qualifications as listed here in the Scripture. We see him running after that. That's good. There's many qualifications in the Scripture given to the man in order to meet, in order to be a pastor. And so, mainly given in, in, in Timothy and Titus, and both of these are given by Paul to who actually themselves were young pastors at the same time. They needed to know what they needed to look for. This wasn't just saying, hey, Timothy, Titus, you need to make sure you measure up here. It's telling Timothy and Titus, the church needs to understand what it needs to look for in you and also what you need to be looking for in other men. You know, and this is good because sometimes men pastors can maybe want other men to rise up in leadership or for the bigger church and they want multiple elders. They can be, kind of be desperate and want that. And so they find somebody who might be willing to teach and, and do this or that, and they're like, hey, we'll just grab onto him. But he doesn't meet the moral qualifications. You can't be desperate, okay? We, we need to make sure we, we weigh uh, this outright in the Word of God. Thank you so much. Good job. Oh, I'll be able to preach for 45 minutes now. Don't get mad at Caleb, though. I did ask for it. 
In first, in first Timothy three here, it says in verse two, it says, "If a man, so first of all, he must be a man. We already made that clear. Uh, desires the position of a bishop or pastor. He desires a good work, and so." Uh, I think a man could possibly desire that work like in of himself, but not be called of God. In other words, there are some men who say, you know what, I think I would like to, to be a pastor, an elder. He, he desires a good work. That's not a bad thing to, to want to do that. But there are qualifications that you still must meet. In other words, just because a man has a desire, and that desire might be real and genuine, it doesn't mean that he should do it, right? And so that, I think, is what we learn from that. But it says he desires a good work. And so first of all, the office of a pastor is not for a lazy man. It is work. But here's what I want you to think about as well as we're referred to when it says a man must be. Listen, I should be the example I should be because I'm pastor, but also because I'm a man. And in other words, I mean this, that the example I set as a pastor is good for men to follow. At least it should be. And so while we think about these things, men, I want to encourage you and challenge you, are you following some of the things that, that are laid out here in the Word of God that, that I am to be, are you seeking to be? Because if you're called upon to follow the pastor, and if the pastor's called upon to, to follow Jesus, right? Then we should be following the same person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's imperative that, that we understand this, that this is not just a message about my qualifications as a pastor, but it's also about what we should be setting forth as examples as men within the church. And we'll, so we'll make those applications where, where, where they fit. First of all, he says that the man of God, that the pastor, is to be blameless. We'll say, well, that, that rules every one of us out. I mean, who is blameless? Well, it doesn't literally mean he must be without sin and, and perfection. Uh, if that's what it means, then I'm going to step down right now because I, I fall short of that often. But he must be above reproach, blameless. In other words, some people can't look at him in the world and say, well, look at what he's doing. This is sin right here. This is wrong. He's not without reproach. It doesn't mean he's perfect every single day, but you look at his life and say, boy, this is wrong he's doing. He's still doing it. <laughs> and he's still doing it. This is wrong. So it doesn't mean perfection. No man is perfect in this life, but that the pastor must be free from, from public immorality, which would give occasion for the people he pastors to, to not trust him or not have confidence in him, or for the enemies of God to blaspheme. It's a terrible testimony and before the church, and, and he should be a man that, that you could say to your kids, hey, follow pastor. You should be able to say that. He's got a good example in this area. You should be able to do that. He should keep himself unspotted from the world. It doesn't mean the world's going to love him or the world's never going to notice him. But there should not be uh, chinks in his armor, if you would, whereby he has these issues of morality in his life that you can easily point to. And, and so, but likewise, men, we should seek that as well for ourselves. We should seek that as well before our own children. In other words, it would be, be wrong for you as, as a man to say, hey, we need to follow the pastor, but then you don't do that yourself. Or you don't, yourself don't seek to live in a way which would be unspotted from the world, a way which would be free from, from, from immorality, and in a way that would uh, you know, give occasion for the enemies of blaspheme that you would seek to put all that out. And so 
You, you as men need to seek that as well in your life. I just think it's wrong to, to expect the pastor to do that, and then you say, well, but me, I'm free game. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I do, as long as the pastor does that. Now, secondly, it says he's to be the husband of one wife, uh, basically against polygamy here. Um, I understand Baptists have been, have been split on this for some time and, and still are about whether he can be divorced or not. I'm not going to get into all of that. Uh, I, I believe it speaks of polygamy. Um, and the time was written, husband of one wife. Uh, I don't want to get into that too much. I don't want to distract from us uh, this morning, but I do believe that it's speaking of not having more than one wife at a time. If I had a couple wives, I would hope you wouldn't you know, let me be up here. Uh, my wife wouldn't let me up here. I'd be dead. So, you know, you wouldn't have a problem with that uh, here. Um, some people literally believe, though, if you get divorced and remarried, that you have multiple wives. Um, the Lord Jesus told the woman at the well, you have had, past tense, five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. Uh, to, to take that, I, I think, is, is too extreme. Um, there, there are legal grounds for divorce. I'm not going to get into all of that. Uh, this morning, not, not the, the thrust of the message, uh, but definitely the man of God, the man is standing up here proclaiming the Word of God. He needs to have one wife. Uh, he needs to be faithful to that wife. He needs to be sexually pure and faithful to the woman that God has given him. Um, and, and so we need that. And that, that's, that's good, right? That's what the man of God should be. Why? Because that's the example we should all be living after. I, I, if this is, say, well, I believe, I believe you, Pastor. I believe that that's talking about the pastor is not to be a polygamist. He cannot have one wife, more than one wife at a time. So does that mean you can? <laughs> so is it okay for you? Oh, well, well no, I don't. <laughs> see, you see, we're held to the same standard here. And so none of us should be polygamists, right, at all. Um, now, I do think that divorce sometimes can also disqualify a man uh, from being an elder in a church. And I think you have to take that upon different scenarios and situations i'm not going to get into that i'm not divorced okay never have been so it's not an issue right now but also let's go on it says he should be temperate minded or sober minded of good behavior and so he's to be a man of, of in his private and public behavior should should evidence strength of character he, he should be a man of discipline a man of self-control it doesn't mean he has never lost it at times in, in the sense of, of issues, but, uh, but a man who, who overall character, you, you could say that is of him. A man cannot be lazy or sloppy or undisciplined and be fit for the office of a pastor. It's a good work, and so there's work involved. And he must be valiant sort of a man who's focused, determined, clear-headed, and good behavior. I read all that, and I'm thinking, I need to step it up a little bit. I, I can do better there, and I know that. But this is an example that I should always seek to pursue and exemplify, but it's one that, that all of us should seek after. And, and as I, if I cannot lead the house of God in that manner, how can I lead my family as well? And see, he's got to have these qualifications. Why? Because he's supposed to be like that in his own house. And if he's not like that in his own house, then how can he take care of the house of God? And so, first of all, I've got to be right in my family. And he teaches that principle here in just a moment. So this isn't just good for me. It's good for us as men. Men, you must be temperate. Self-control. 
sober-minded, of good behavior, not lazy or sloppy. You need to be disciplined. I mean, be a worker, be focused and determined, and, and all of these things of good behavior. That's something we should all pursue after because we're men of God who want to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Fourthly, he's to be given to hospitality. Now, the pastor's home should always be a place that is open to others. I hope everyone knows you're, you're welcome anytime. It might help to call first at times, but you're welcome at any time. We'll make sure we're there. But he should be a hospitable person who wants to minister to others and encouraging the saints. So he needs to be friendly and, and comfortable to be around in his home. He should be a giving person. All of those things, you say, well, listen, that, that's good stuff for all of us. In a sense, all of us should be using our homes, using what God's given us to be hospitable. And I understand there is a gift of hospitality that's mentioned in the Scriptures. But all of us should be giving people. It's a good example to follow. But let us move on here because we've got a few more. Fifthly, he says he's to be able to teach. I think the King James Version says apt to teach, meaning... He must be able to teach, able to teach. So there is a qualification that, that he may have that, that other people may not have, other men may not have. You know, other people can be you know, morally good people but not have the ability to communicate the Word of God, right? Yeah, well, most people are probably like that. Um, not everybody can teach. It, it is a gift. But the man of God must be able to teach, <laughs> I've seen people who were very good moral guys who, who was in the ministry, but you couldn't follow them for nothing in the Word of God. Like you get done, you're like, what did he even talk about? And so, while he might meet the moral qualifications, he might be a great guy, but if that's his consistent behavior, I'm not saying I'm knocking out of the park every time, I know I don't, but if you can't follow the train of thought and he can't communicate truth, and you're like, I've been listening to this guy for a while, for days and weeks, like I don't even know what he's talking about. He might be a great guy, but he has no business being in, in the place of a pastor. And so, so there is a qualification definitely for myself. I understand that. But also within that able to teach, there is some thing you can see about that, that he should be able to be taught as well. In other words, he, he's a man who, who seeks after learning. He's a man who wants to grow in learning. And you're able to teach him. In other words, he's not so puffed up that he can't learn anything. And so where, here's a great thing for you to think about as men. Men, you should be learners of the truth. You may not be able to communicate it very well. You may not be very eloquent at, at teaching and communicating truth even to your wife or children. Listen, there's a lot of good resources, though. You can read, hopefully. I think everybody here can read. But if you can't, then maybe you can listen to something Right? You, you, if you have ears and you can listen to something, you can say, hey, honey, listen to this. Or, hey, kids, listen to this. And so you seek to relay that information to your children. Listen, husbands, you've got to be a communicator of truth to your family. No, you may not stand up here and proclaim the Word of God, but you, are, you have a responsibility before God, men, to, to wash your family with the Word of God in accordance to Ephesians 5. And so you must be, you may not be the pastor, but you've got to be men, godly men of the Word who love the truth of God's Word, who want to relay that truth and instill that truth to, you, to your wife and to your children. It's not just for the pastor to do up here. It's for you to engage yourself in 
in your family throughout the whole week. So he must be a man who, who is willing to read books, a man who's going to read the Bible, a man who's going to seek to grow in learning. If you want to be a good man, you need to do that. If you want to be a godly man, you need to do that. A man who's committed to study of the Word of God, you may not occupy the pulpit, and you may not, like I said, be a teacher, but you can grow, you can read, you can learn, and you can try to live that out. You can try to, to, to instill that into your family. And so that's all good for all of us as men. So men desire to learn. What would, you, what would you think if I didn't bring my Bible up to church? <laughs> you see where that's going real quick, don't you? If that pastor, he didn't even bring his Bible to church, you have a higher standard for me than you do yourself? Bring your Bible to church. That's why I don't like putting all the Scriptures up on the PowerPoint. I mean, there's going to be a time and place for that, but I think it can make lazy listeners. And so, anyhow, bring your Bible to church. I understand you have it on your phone. I still prefer the page. Uh, I use my phone sometimes too, not here. Uh, but I get that. But bring, a, bring your Bible. Be engaged. Men, your kids see you not bringing your Bible to church. Don't think that doesn't affect them. Do I look at it on my phone? Well, make, if you do that, if you've chosen that, then at least let them know that's what you're doing. <laughs> Be men of the Word. Sixthly, this man, more qualification here is that he's not to be given to wine. Man, I'm glad that's a pastor's responsibility, right? Not given to wine. No, the pastor can, cannot be one given to the bottle, one that stays near wine. He cannot be one that, that is an alcoholic or one having the image of, of one who gets drunk or, or gets drunk or anything like that. A, a pastor must be mentally sharp. A pastor who gives himself to wine would not set a good example. Why? Because that's the example that's supposed to be set because that's the example that's supposed to be followed. Now the pastor, he'd not be given the wine, but I can be. I'm not the pastor. That's, listen, that's hypocrisy is what that is. A, a pastor who gives himself to wine, you should quickly disqualify him. He has no business behind a pulpit, but listen, it has no business in our lives either. Given to wine. That does not give permission to you to be a drunk or a drunkard or in any way of any form or fashion. You know, sometimes, you know, two opposite streams happen. And in, in looking at the pastor, his moral qualifications or the things he does morally, there can be those who set him on a standard so high he can't even attain to it, or a standard so high in, in regards to, you know, that's just for him. But then there's some that because they understand he's a pastor and really should do what he does, that sometimes they lower, lower the qualifications of a pastor, moral qualifications of the pastor, because that comes closer to where they're at. <laughs> and it's okay to allow in a pastor because, well, that's kind of what I do, too. And so we can go on opposite ends. I've seen both of those kind of mentalities in the people of God. In other words, they would want the pastor to, to be involved in certain little things that really aren't right because 
well, that would kind of justify their own behavior, make them feel better about themselves. So, Pastor, it's okay if you do that. Why? Well, that's what I do. So there's that side of the coin, too. So you can't have higher expectations of morality for me that you're not willing to meet yourselves and then don't lower my expectations from the Word of God and what it teaches to make you feel better about yourselves. Next he says he's not to be violent, not quarrelsome, but patient and gentle. Aren't these things that everybody should be pursuing after? The office of the pastor requires a man who is uh, tempered, not a man who's constantly easily provoked to anger, a man who's not looking for a fight. He, you know, he shouldn't be doing that. Uh, the pastor will minister to all sorts of people, and so he must be even-tempered, one who can control his emotions and when dealing with various circumstances. And so that should be his overall demeanor. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells Timothy this in verse 24 and 26. He says this, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And so he needs to be able to minister to others and so be calm and gentle and patient in humility. And while the pastor must be that way, listen, if you want to win others as men, you need to be that way as too. Because you're going to find opposition against the truth in your life. And if you want to win your family, you want to win your kids, then you need to exemplify that in your own home, starting there. You need to be patient and not quarrelsome. You need to, to approach your, your wife and, and children in humility. I mean, you need to know the truth and seek, have others to know the truth. And, why? Because you want them to be delivered from maybe the captivity of Satan, the people in your life around you. And so the pastor should set that example in how he ministers to the people of the church so that that's just an example for you as a man and how to treat the, the, your wife and children and other people in your life. That's not just good for me, it's good for all. You know, but in the ministry, much harm has been done to the cause of Christ and in many churches by, have been hurt by overbearing, hot-headed pastors who rule with, with a stubborn mentality, never humble before the people. And so that's good for the pastor, right? It was good for us. Well, next he says this, he's not greedy for money. Well, this would cut out a lot, of, a lot of people we see on our TV, wouldn't it? I mean, it really would. I watched, I watched a video earlier this week. Oh, my goodness. I, I just couldn't believe this guy was a preacher. I mean, he spent loads of time guilting people through social media to give. Are you God, I mean, it was, just, it was ridiculous. Ridiculous. The ministry should never be regarded as an opportunity for material gain. I don't know too many Baptists anyway that that's really done any good for them if, if that's what they went into it for. Uh, but he, he must not be money-hungry. Right? He's not to love money. That should be obvious. Or covetous. Now, you, if your pastor was acting that way, you'd have a problem with him, I'd hope. Right? Just never could be happy. I mean, he's always wanted more. All of these things. Yeah, the church is to care. I believe the Scriptures teach for the financial needs of the pastor. 
But at the same time, I'm not to be an undue burden on, on the church because of a covetous spirit as well. Pastors should seek to be good examples and, and stewards of their money and set that good example. He's not to be a person who's a lover of money. Neither should you be, <laughs> right? Men, you want to affect, the pastor should be that way because he's got to effectively lead the people and how they should be. Men, don't love money. It will greatly affect your relationships and your life, your wife and your children. Money is not the chief object in life. Don't be greedy of money, material gain. Men, what, what, are we, what are we setting? What example are we setting for what we love, what we desire, what we want out of life? Do we have an unhealthy affection for money? I think we should have zero affection for it. The love of money is the root of all evil. And of so many evils. We shouldn't love it. It's necessary. We need it. But it shouldn't be a love of it. Not an affection for it. Because it will help you in making your decisions because the desires of your heart, the affections of your heart affects the decisions that you make for yourself and for your family. Next it says he's one, he rules his own house well. He rules his own house well. In verse 4 and in verse 5. One who rules his own house well, having his children submission with all reverence. For a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Listen, every man should rule his own house well. That's what we should all be doing. We should all be loving our wives and, and leading them. We should, we should have that. We should rule our houses well. We should rule our children well. All of us should be doing that. I'm just to be the example of that. I must be doing that in order to be able to be the pastor. But that's something that all of us should be doing. And so, while you might sit there as men and say, yeah, a pastor's got to be like that, you've got to be like that too. You have a responsibility before God to rule your house well and to raise your children right. God puts that on you. How your household goes in, in your home, that's not up to me. That's up to you. I'm responsible for my family, and I'm responsible for the church. But what happens in your house, men, you've got to take charge of that. You are a man. Be a man. Rule your house well. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Be a leader in the home. What would you think of your pastor? Now, my wife would never do this. She's like, what's he going to say next? What would you think of me if after a while you're like, See, the pastor seems like his wife is doing more of, of stuff that he should be doing. What would you think of that? If after a while you're like, you're not even saying Pastor Jack anymore, you're saying Pastor Jack and Pastor Tracy. We're getting lopsided here. Something's off. Who's the spiritual leader? Is it him or is it his wife? I hope everyone will say, you know, the man, he's supposed to be the spiritual leader. He, the pastor, he's a man. He's supposed to be the spiritual leader. Amen to that, right? Well, men, who's the spiritual leader in your home? Something's off if it's your wife. Now, I'm not faulting the wife if she is. She might be doing it because you're not. 
Now, if I step down, my wife doesn't need to step up. That's not what I'm saying. But in the home, it's sad when that happens. Men, you are the spiritual leaders. You are the one that needs to be leading your family in righteousness and after the person of Jesus Christ. You are the one that they are supposed to rule. You are the one that the wife and the children are supposed to be able to be submissive to because you are following after the Word of God. You're the one that holds that responsibility, not your wife. Are you actively leading your home and ruling it well? Don't expect that of me and then don't do it yourself. Rule your house well in loving authority. That doesn't mean the pastor's kids will never mess up. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Boy, we had some days. Now see, you guys got to miss out on a lot of that as far as the public part of it. When our kids were little, oh, bring them to church. And I've told you this before, but the church I pastored in Illinois when ours were the smallest, it was a it was a church half church building half this size, wooden theater seats. So they could fall claps in, you know. Wooden floors. I mean, you could somebody in the back would drop a penny and it would roll all the way up to the front because it was slanted. I mean, you talk about distractions. I mean, some of you that get easily distracted in here, I'm like, oh good grief. I've I've preached in some distractions, okay? <laughs> it can get rough. Uh, kids trying to stand up in the pew. Listen, let me, let me tell you, when they try to stand up in a wooden theater seat, guess what happens? They sink. They drop. Do you think that's a distraction? I mean, oh. I mean, raising kids was not easy in, in, in that building, for sure. Um, but kids are kids. You have to correct them. It doesn't mean your kids are going to be perfect, right? And see, that's what happens to a lot of men in the ministry. There's this unrealistic expectation that the pastor's kids, boy, they're going to be perfect all the way from birth, well, forever. At least until they're out of their home, you know. Folks, that's not realistic. That doesn't happen. But in his home, he should be doing the right thing in teaching, training, disciplining his children. And if they get older and get way out of hand and move out, that's, he, they are now their own home, own house, they have to answer for that. But we should all, as men, be seeking to raise our family right. Men, man up. Be the loving leaders of your home. Tenth, he's not to be a novice. For the office of pastor, he cannot be a newly converted person. He must be tested, tried, and taught in the Word of God. Pastors are subject to the praise of of the people of God, which sometimes has a tendency to lift men up in pride. And honestly, if you're a novice, you can very fall very quickly to that. When a pastor is lifted in pride, he sets himself up for a fall. Some men went quickly into the ministry as pastor, and it has hurt them. I've known churches that as soon as a man was saved, he was, I mean, he was in the pastorate. Like, what are you doing? Now, this is I've seen this in... in Several churches happened where a guy was, was pastoring and then he comes to say, you know what, listen, church, I'm not saved. I, the Lord just saved me. And the church keeps him as pastor. And he should step down immediately. Immediately. He's then, he's then just labeled himself as a novice, a new convert, a new believer. 
He needs to grow up a little bit. I'm not saying he never could be in the ministry again, but he needs, he's a new convert. He needs to step down. And, and so, why? Because pride enters in, and there comes a fall. And so, while you may not apply to you as men in regards to being a pastor, there's something to learn from this for all men, is that men, if we're truly going to lead others in our home, we must be humble men. We cannot be prideful or arrogant. And see, the young man gets lifted in pride because, boy, he has this position in the church. Let me tell you what, some men are proud because I've got this position in the family. I'm the head of the home, and they're lifted with proud, pride and arrogance. And they're not humble. They don't humbly lead their home. Humbly love their home. And so you can let position go to your head, if you would, even as a man who is not even a pastor, but as in just one who's a leader in the home. Next it says, a, a man of a good report among those in the, in the community. In verse 7, it talks about him there. A good report from those without. And folks, that should be, that should be the case for all of us. All of us as men. When people look at you in the community, what do they think of New Testament Baptist Church? <laughs> when people look at me out there and know that I'm a pastor of New Testament Baptist Church, I hope it would be good. Say, man, that, that might be a good church to go visit, you know? He's a good guy. He's kind. He's gracious. He loves the Lord. He, uh, boy, he's friendly to people. He seems like he loves the Bible. He loves Jesus. I might just go visit there. That's the image I should have in the community. Well, what about you? It shouldn't be any different. I should be setting that example because that's the way we're all supposed to be. It's not a higher standard that I must walk. When people think of you, do they have, do they have good thoughts of New Testament Baptist Church? And how we walk. And I know that there's applications in this in regards not only men, but women to all of us. But men, as lovers and leaders of the home, it first lies on us to be good examples in our community. I pray the Lord would help us to understand as men that we need to rise. Now, there's some other things here we won't get to this morning because we've run out of time. I pray that God would help me, pray for me as your pastor. The things I talk about, I mean, it's more honestly, they're not easy for me because even, listen, I know myself better than you know me. <laughs> I can go through these things and look at them and say, I need a little bit more work there. I need a little bit more work there. You know, I can be better at this and better. And I get that. And I think we should all be like that and humble and knowing that we've always got room to grow. And so it's humbling for me to even, to even think about these things this morning. But overall deportment, overall manner of life, I should live in a way that is, that is blameless as according to what he's laid out in the Scriptures. And so pray for your pastor because as he said, listen, he mentions the devil two times or lest he fall in the snare of the devil. Listen, I believe there have been qualified men. There have been very good men in the Word of God and moral men all up to a certain point. But they have failed to Satan. It doesn't mean that God never called them. Some people think, well, if a man falls out of the ministry, he gets into something and, and boy, he falls into sin that God never called him. I don't believe that. I think he failed. I think there's a difference. And so I don't presume that because I know God's called me in the ministry, that boy, I don't have to be concerned about falling into immorality. 
I know without a doubt God's called me to ministry, but I also know this at the same time, I can still fall. And so I need your prayers. I know I'm not perfect. And I know I'm still in this flesh. And I know, I, I know the temptations of my own heart and mind at times. And so don't ever think that your pastor thinks he's perfect and he thinks he's got it just right down the line all together all the time. I don't. I sense my, my infirmities greatly. I need your prayers. But that, pray for me because I want to live, as Paul told Timothy, he told him, he said, be an example of the believers. That's a high calling. I get that. And I, and I want to be able to say, as Paul, when he would say, follow me. Paul could say that. Knowing that if people followed him, they were following the Lord because that's who he was following. I ought to be living a life to where when you follow the pastor, you're following Jesus because that's who he's following. He's the great shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd. I've got my eyes on him. I'm following him. And if you follow me, we're all following the same person. We're following Jesus. But don't lift me up too high. Please don't do that. You have to respect the position that the Scriptures teach that. We'll consider that later. But don't lift me too high, whatever you do. Pray for me that I would walk as God had me to walk, that I would be more like Jesus Christ and not fall to the snare and temptation of the devil. It scares me. It really does, because I, I know I'm still in the flesh. I, I'm not beyond falling. I, I've heard men who preach so much about how that the man of God should walk and preach and plead and, and talk to the men of God and tell them they got to do this and they got to be like this. And, and some of those same men Later's, later years fail into gross immorality. I do not think so high of myself to think that I could never mess up. I could never sin like that. Pray for your pastor. That would never happen. I pray, for, I pray that for myself all the time. Pray for me that I would walk in a way that exemplifies Christ in a manner that sets an example for all of us to follow. Amen? Thank you. Father, please help me, Lord. Oh, boy, Lord, do I feel how frail I am this morning. But I'm thankful, Lord, that your call upon my life is, is certain and that, Lord, I know you, you have placed me here. Uh, your Holy Spirit has placed me here. And I'm so thankful, Lord, to be pastor of New Testament Baptist Church. I do not take that for granted. It's a privilege. It's an honor to serve you here. Let me never be uplifted in pride or arrogance or think high of myself. Father, help me to always, please help me to, to remain humble, a humble servant of you and of your people, to set a good and godly example, to never, to never fall away from you, to never sin against you in such a way that would bring shame and reproach upon your name, upon the ministry, upon the church, upon my wife, upon my Children, God help me, I pray. Lord, I ask that you would just protect all of us, help us as men, Lord, to rise up and to be godly men in this day and age which manhood is, is looked down upon. God help us to rise up to those challenges and some of those we mentioned today and apply them to our life and be men of God. We pray in Jesus' name and amen. Let's all stand, please, as we sing.